Hey guys, you're listening to Millennials at the Movies. I'm Amy. And I'm Novi, and today's movie is A Bag of Hammers. According to Amazon, two slacker buddies befriend a street-smart kid who wants to join their larcenous valet parking business. When they discover the kid is neglected, they have to decide if they're ready to become responsible adults in order to protect him. This movie is streaming on Prime Video and Tubi. Rotten Tomatoes scores. The critics give it a 58, and the audience gives it a 66. Not much better than our last movie, actually. <laughs> no. I'm not surprised at this one either, actually. Um, yeah, it's a very, very indie movie. It's so slow-paced through the entire thing. Um, and I think when I originally watched it, that was probably the thing I liked most about it, because I just really wanted to, like lay back and watch something that didn't make me have to like get excited you know what I mean like I didn't want a bunch of action I didn't want fast-paced um and then re-watching it I enjoyed all of that about it as well but I do think that it is the plot is surprising um though I hadn't read anything about it when I watched it I had no idea what to expect of it I don't even know why I watched it, but it does take you places that you're not really expecting to go just based on the first few scenes you see of these quote, quoted slacker buddies. Well, I'll tell you this much. I hated you for making me watch this immediately <laughs> because I hated Alan and Ben, our two main characters, the second <laughs> they started talking. I hated them so much. <laughs> and I think you're supposed to because the movie is about them growing and you can't love who they are right now and also simultaneously want them to be different. Right. I I didn't, I don't think I immediately had like a love or hate for them. I was just like, okay, yeah, they're, they're guys. They're just guys who are standing there talking about the dumbest of things and choosing Ultimate Warrior, even if he's not a choice. Um, and I just thought it was funny. I thought it was a, like dumbest funny thing to start a movie with um but yeah they're not great people at the beginning of the movie at least (laughs) no and especially because you kind of expect if they're stealing cars that they're gonna be like robin hooding it a little bit steal from the rich give to the poor it's like no they're just stealing it because they want to they're robbing this like people whose loved ones have recently died grieving people who aren't really paying as much attention as they should so they're assholes yeah they are though two things one um at least they're stealing they are stealing from the rich um (laughs) that doesn't make it any better but two um i will refer to a scene that um i'm gonna come back to later but ben is talking to Alan about what um, Alan's sister Mel has told him about their luck running out. And he says, like, essentially he says, we did what we had to to get out of the shit we were in. Um, And obviously we start to learn through the movie that they've had really, really fucked up lives. And I'm not excusing their behavior based on that, but it's kind of like, it helps you understand why that it's what they're doing. Because... I mean, these guys ran away from home when they were clearly very young and just kind of had to figure out a way to survive. And so I feel like it was their only choice because it wasn't like they were super educated and could go out and get jobs and had a bunch of job experience. You know, again, it's not okay to steal based on that. I'm just saying I understand why that's what they were doing. It was their only choice, but then there got to be a point when it wasn't their only choice anymore, and they still decided to keep doing it. Mm-hmm. And they do a couple of nicer things, like giving uh, Lynette a deal on the rent of what uh, she clearly cannot afford, a mm-hmm. freestanding house in their neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And they give her a deal, and that was nice, but I don't think it was enough considering what they took and who they took it from, because these people didn't really deserve to have their stuff stolen no yeah um I do like though that they didn't really give us like we didn't we don't get to know those people that they took it from that made it easier for me to not hate them completely even though yeah they were not great people you were just like okay where is this going why are these the main characters am I supposed to like them what's happening Uh we get to know Amanda, whose car they stole, who also <laughs> happens true. to be 
friend's ex-girlfriend and I love her but I was living for how just like iconically (laughs) bitchy she was and her speech of uh, like she might listen to Kelly Clarkson but it's Miss Independent she you know what there's nothing wrong with listening to Kelly Clarkson I own all of her CDs and you know what it she does I don't know. She doesn't teach you to be an independent woman, but she does have that one song. <laughs> um, yeah, she was great. Um, I think her name is Amanda Seafried. I believe that's her last name in real life. Um, and I've loved everything she's been in, but nothing has been like standout amazing as like a quick role that she, like she doesn't come back really throughout the movie. It's just that one scene, and she does such a good job with it. Yeah, and her being there is the first time that I was just like, oh, maybe I'll like this movie if she comes back. And she didn't, but by the time I realized that, I liked it for other reasons. Good, good. I mean, I know you hate me for uh, making you watch the movie, but hopefully you enjoyed some parts of it, at least. I did. Good. Um, I'm going to get this out of the way now, because otherwise I'm going to keep talking about it, like, little by little. I adore Kelsey, and two things first of all the character I mean there were parts of the character that reminded me of my nephew because of the way that he spoke it was very real to I mean he's older than my nephew but to like a kid of around that age that's just how they speak you know and the like getting excited because these older guys like you and they like are agreeing to hang out with you you know like especially because he doesn't have any other friends and all that um so it was the role was written really well or the character was, and the kid that plays him did such a phenomenal job of all of the different reactions that he was supposed to have. Like when he finds out that Lynette has killed her, or I mean, he's she's dead. Um, she, he just sits My there wife. and it's uh, oh, yes, well, yeah, were we supposed to save that for later? Um, <laughs> but when he finds out, when they tell him. First of all, when he's listening to Ben, you can see the confusion on his face, and that's hard to do, I would say. Um, and then his reaction, it's not this, like, overdramatic child reaction. It's so good to who Kelsey is, because he just sits there, and he stares off, and he gets blank. And then the only actual emotion you see is the tears. And I thought that, and, like, the lip quiver. But it was so well done. I, like... I tend to think sometimes, oh, great, if there's a kid in the movie, it's going to be cute, but it's not going to be, a, you know, a well-acted role or anything like that. But he, I just love everything. Like, the way he played the role was perfect from beginning to the end. Yeah, and his name is Chandler Canterbury, by the way. That's and his- <laughs> he did a really great job of selling that he had been neglected for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Even when he was happy, the mm-hmm. happiness was layered on top of this very quiet, blankness yeah he like I got I think that's my main reason for this being such a favorite movie of mine uh, and the reason that I this time since I decided to force you to watch it um I think I watched it about four more times after the original few times I had already seen it throughout a few years um and every time I think about it or talk about it I'm like oh I want to go back and watch that scene again and again it's so hard to do I think for a movie like this because nothing is exciting but for me anyway it's very watchable well it was watchable but I don't find it as rewatchable just because I feel like they did such a good job of setting everything up that I wasn't ever surprised Mm -hmm. whereas there was nothing that I was surprised about and went now I have to go back and see if there were signs the signs were laid out very clearly the whole time yeah absolutely For yeah example, no oh go ahead oh I want to know when you realized that Lynette was a shitty mom uh, immediately um I would say I realized it not in the first scene we see of them um because I actually bought the whole like hurricane uh I haven't gotten the full check thing pretty pretty much fully I bought that um, cause I didn't really see any reason not to, except for this person is being introduced to us in kind of a strange way. And there's probably more to the story. It's just, I didn't question her immediately. Um, 
That's an interesting question. I don't remember the exact moment. It, I might have just... I think they show it to us immediately, don't they? Like, the next time we see her, she's a shitty mom. Well, not really, because I think the next time we see her, she's a, uh, at a job interview, and then we see her trying That's to take right. care of Kelsey's black eye. I but thought she was a shitty mom then. So did Definitely. I, but probably <laughs> for a different reason. Okay, so no, I were you talking about the interview? No, right? No. Okay, yeah, when she comes home and she gets mad at him, and then, first of all, who doesn't have ice? Like, ice is literally just frozen water. How is that hard to have in your house? But um, You can't afford an ice cube tray, it is. A good point. Put it in a Ziploc bag for situations of black eyes. No, I'm kidding. But my, okay, the thing is, though, my immediate, like, oh, my God, she's a shitty mom thing was that this kid was at home eating ice cream for dinner, and her reaction had nothing to do with that. She didn't come home and say, okay, yeah, black guy, let's take care of that and put the ice cream on it if we don't have ice, and here, I'm going to make you dinner, and then what homework do you have? The way that she spoke to him immediately gave it away because she was clearly... Like, she didn't give a shit about him. True. Now, what really got me, and I hate to go off on a tangent, but I I thought that I was judging her too harshly at first because mm-hmm. I'm a single mom. And it it's the kind of thing where people do look at you differently. And I don't like people doing things that cause other people to look at me like I'm a freeloader. Mm-hmm. For this woman to say, I don't have enough money for my rent. I don't have enough money to feed my son. And she smokes. Oh, yeah. And at that second, I was just like, I am done with you. You are dead to me. Yeah, because a pack of cigarettes cost something like $5 even at that time. You could have bought something useful with that money. Like, you know, food for your kid. Well, and especially because we know that she doesn't have any particular job qualifications. We find that out later. Mm -hmm. There was no reason that she should have been looking for housing in that neighborhood. You can find inexpensive housing. Mm -hmm. And she didn't want to. She didn't want to debase herself by getting a job that she felt was below her, Mm -hmm. like waitressing. But it wasn't below her because she was vastly unqualified for any job she tried to go for. So she was prioritizing her own ego and her own cigarettes over feeding and housing her child. Yeah, I have a couple of things to say about her and her job skills and all of that. Um, First of all, I did have the thought of like, okay, so while you're trying to find better work, how come you don't have even a part-time job? as a waitress or at a fast food joint, just whatever, something, you know, um, so that you're making some money because you got a kid, like whatever the job is, you should be taking it. However, that one scene, not the first job interview with the man, but the second job interview with the woman, these were not job interviews. These were placement agencies that she was at. And yes, they were still interviewing her to try to figure out what, what kind of work they could find for her. That woman was such a cunt. I hated that woman in that scene more than I hated Lynette. Because she was so judgmental. And that's not the point of job placement agencies. That's not what they're supposed to be there for, you know? And yeah, she and was, when, you have, mm-hmm. when you have an attitude like that, you're discouraging needy people from applying for work. Yeah, like, okay, so she doesn't have experience with office work. How about you think about what else you could find her or office work that doesn't require her to know how to use Excel or whatever the fuck. Like, you're being so judgmental and such a bitch. Like, I hated her. And I'm so glad that that was the only scene of her, but it made me, like, probably irrationally angry. But I was just like, dude, this is not what these people need when they come to you for help to find a job. At least she's trying. I mean, this woman didn't know anything else about Lynette. So that's all she knew was that she was trying to find a job. You didn't have to be a bitch. Exactly. But Lynette wasn't actually trying to find a job. She no. was trying to find a job that she felt was up to her level of mm-hmm. how much she valued herself. Mm-hmm. And that's okay if you're a single person. If you go, I don't feel like this is worth my time so I'm gonna go home and not eat dinner tonight but if you have a child and especially Mel offered to try and get her a job at the diner and she said I won't do that 
mm-hmm. that's below me. I'm not going to do it. Mm-hmm. And she knew she couldn't pay her rent. She knew she couldn't feed her kid and she did not care. Yeah. Yeah. She was, I mean, yeah, she was definitely not a good person. She was definitely not, a, I can't even say she was not a good mom. She was like the worst mom or one of, um, but that woman didn't know any of those additional things. I will also say I was a little confused because they don't outright say it, but when she calls and leaves a voicemail to her ex-husband, um, she says something like, and I'm, I'm done with that, but she doesn't finish her sentence because she starts yelling at the ex-husband's new wife about if you delete this message or whatever. But the way she looks, the way she speaks, and especially her like anger outbursts, um, made me think that that meant like she was on drugs and that's what she was using her money on. And so she was trying to tell him like, no, I'm really trying to find a job. If you could just take him for a little while until I get back on my feet, you know, cause I'm not doing that anymore. I swear, except I felt like she still was or something. She was doing something, drinking drugs, something along those lines where that's where her money was going. And that's all she wanted was to be able to go out and do those things. So it was like, no, take him temporarily, except that meant forever. It's possible. Yeah. And it clearly wasn't going toward her clothes because her nice interview clothes that got shrunken in the laundry looked like the kind of thing that most women wear running. Yeah. And um, we don't know how old she's supposed to be. She's obviously supposed to be like a younger mom, but still like she's like... I I get, like, if you can't afford clothes, but I can't imagine that if you're, like, trying to buy cheap clothes from anywhere, that the, like, best option you have is a tiny little mini skirt and a shirt, like, a tank top that doesn't fit you right. You know what I mean? I was like, you could have bought something that you can wear at home, but that you can also wear to work if you don't have a lot of clothing options. You know what I mean? Well, sure. Yeah. Um, The women in this movie, I think, were... Okay, all of the characters were very, like, they weren't good people, but then they were also great people, except for Lynette. Um, And then also except for Wyatt, the teacher, because I don't think we ever saw him not being a good person. I think we can argue that what he did at the end wasn't what was best for Kelsey, but there's no way for him to have known that. Right, yeah. Because as far as he knows, and maybe we're skipping ahead because we haven't really explained this at all, but (laughs) as far as he knows, these two dudes have just abducted their dead neighbor's child. Exactly. They kind of (laughs) had. Yeah. I mean, like, they literally hid all of the evidence of Kelsey's existence in Lynette's house when they called the cops after she killed herself. Um, Which, yeah, again, she kills herself. Um... (laughs) And and then they just kept him without telling anyone. And that's yeah. not a smart thing to do. But also they knew that, or Alan knew, that if they told that there was no way that they were going to get custody of this kid. I think it's possible that Ben knew too, but he wasn't telling him, like he wasn't letting himself realize it because he knew that if he thought about it, he wouldn't let himself do it. Yeah. Because Alan asks him at one point, why would you have hid him from the cops if you weren't planning on keeping him? Mm -hmm. And all Ben can say is, I didn't want him to end up in a group home. But where do you think he was going to end up if you turned him into Child Protective Services two days later? Yeah, he says when they're talking about like getting Kelsey situated, he says, because Alan says something about getting getting him a bed. And then um, Ben goes, well, won't they have that at the foster place and then they're talking about all this and um alan is like freaking out about how like no they'll send him to like a group home and it doesn't seem like ben is registering that a foster home is the same thing like what what do you how do you think these this thing works like even um wyatt even explained it to them and i don't think it's that he didn't understand i do think it was that he just didn't want to deal with it he didn't think he could which we see very clearly later on we do they were, I think Alan and Ben ended up being such, so much more complex characters than you expect them to be at the start when you're like, oh my God, these are just stupid assholes who I hate, you know? Um, 
when we learn about their past as kids and I feel like we definitely hear a little bit extra about Ben because he needs to use his own past to talk to Kelsey and help him understand when Lynette is dead. Um, So we learn about his brother and how he died um, and how it affected him and clearly closed him off emotionally. Um, But we don't hear too much about Alan except for... I think it's when Mel, his sister, mentioned something about how Alan decided to take Ben with him when they ran away from home instead of her and how she's pissed at that because he left her there. And she says something like, who do you think got hit when you left? So clearly they came from an abusive home. Yeah, and that is what makes Mel kind of an interesting character for me because on one hand she does like to act like she's so above the car theft and she's just a simple waitress Mm -hmm. but she also does profit off of it they tip her a hundred dollars of their dirty money Mm -hmm. they buy her car they put her through college Mm -hmm. and it's possible that she feels like while she could never take something directly from someone else Mm -hmm. that Alan and in a way Ben also owe her for leaving her in that situation so she can take it from them yeah yeah I think it's um they're just their different reactions to the shitty homes they came from and basically getting out of it and just trying to survive and for her it's easier like for her to accept what she's doing is easier because again, she's not stealing from anyone. She is doing her job. And if her brother decides to tip her a hundred dollars, then that's what she, you know, he, she's going to take except for that one scene when he, she's talking to him about how, what they do is awful and whatnot. And then she doesn't want the money. And then he goes, what are you too good for it? <sighs> yeah. She's a, I don't, we don't ever get told how old they're supposed to be any of them except for Kelsey. Um, but I think they did a good job of portraying these characters who are probably in their early 20s um, and just trying to figure out life, I think, you know, and just what's right and what's wrong and, like, realizing slowly that there is a gray area and what that gray area might be and what, like, your own morals are and that kind of stuff. And I like that because it is – I feel like we see a lot of, like, um, coming-of-age movies that are – younger like teenagers coming of age stories where I think that in your 20s you still have that kind of an experience you know you still are learning and you're really starting to understand who you are and what your beliefs are and like how to be your own person and I think that's what I enjoyed about this movie a lot was that it was okay for them to be fuck-ups because they did all grow in the end it was but in a way, it also wasn't, because a big part of the moral of the story is that you do not get a clean slate every day. Right. Because, I mean, it would be hard for me. Like, I love you. I adore you. You're one of my favorite people. Gross. If I found out that your neighbor died and you took their kid, <laughs> it would be very hard for me to give you the benefit of the doubt, even though I know that you are a good person and that you would just be trying to do what's best. And I know you're not a creep or a pedo. It would still cross my mind. I should call someone and report this. Right. And yeah. you are a fine, upstanding individual. Why, thank you. <laughs> these two are car thieves mm-hmm. and they are constantly doing illegal things with shady people mm-hmm. who may or may not if they were to stop or if he were to feel like he deserved more of their money he could easily do anything to them you don't know their lives are not safe or stable mm-hmm. so mel had no reason to give them the benefit of the doubt as far as believing they'd be good parents. And they may have changed in that three days, but it takes more than three days to change someone's view of you. And Mm -hmm. in the end, she ended up calling Child Protective Services to report that they had the kid. And it might have turned out badly, but it was still probably the right thing to do. They hadn't yet earned the trust they were asking for. So... It's kind of a cautionary tale of if you want people to look at you a certain way, you have to be that way 
today and tomorrow and the next day and consistently and constantly until you earn that. You can't just say, well, I changed yesterday. So you have to look at me differently. Yeah. And I, yeah, I wasn't mad at her for calling Child Protective Services. That was definitely the right thing to do. And I think actually it was, it was a good show of her character that she did that when these, these people are, I mean, it's her brother and her brother's best friend who like she has known for a really long time as well, um, who is like family to her. And so to do that on your, to your family shows even more that she wanted to do the right thing. And this is what she truly thought was the right thing. And there was no reason for anybody to sit there and go, no, that was not the right thing because clearly these boys have had no actual real responsibilities their entire lives. Even Ben says like, this is not part of the plan. This is not what we do. We don't raise kids. Like, you know, like this is, we can't even have fish. Yeah. And I think, I, I think I liked the balance, too, because Ben was the one that was less emotionally open. And Alan, and he was a little more um, level-headed. And then Alan was the one that was just like, no, we are not doing this. He's staying with us, and I'm going to take care of him, and I don't care what you guys say, because I'm going to do this. And, like, even when Ben leaves, it's like, yeah, no, I'm taking care of this kid. This kid's mine now. And he's wrong to think that way um I feel like if they had just gone to authorities and told them like this is what happened and like what can we do if we want to have custody of him what are the steps we need to take you know it maybe like I don't know if they would have gotten custody immediately or whatever but I just feel like that would have been a more rational reaction but oh under no circumstances would that have worked I mean maybe the, I don't know what year this movie came out in maybe they could have gotten married and tried to gay adopt him but <laughs> uh, they might have because they do get to keep him in the end like officially and legally <laughs> but yeah um I also think that uh a, an important um event was the fact that they found Lynette dead in the car and read the note that she had left. Like, Jesus, this woman had left a note to her, what, 12-year-old son saying, oh, yeah, there's, like, something like $40 in my wallet or whatever. And sorry, Mommy had to. Like, good luck forever. Yeah, like, she, he's 12, though. Like, at hey, least... that note was more than she spoke to him for That's probably true. the three days before she did it. So That's very true. Yeah. Well, um, and I'm really not discounting mental illness. Obviously, this no. woman did have mental problems, and it's very sad. Mm. But in any situation where you're the parent of a child, your child has to be prioritized over you, even if that means you have to live with something that's hard. Yeah. Honestly, I was even surprised that she even left a note to him because, like you said, there was no interaction. I mean, I mean, there was an interaction, obviously, but there was no like, you're my son and I love you and I'm going to do this or that. There was no real conversation. It was always just like, God, I think she calls him him Satan or something like that when he accidentally shrinks the laundry. It's like, what were you doing when the kid? But you was don't doing have a job. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, there was a lot that was really, really frustrating about her that made me... So it's it wasn't about, like, you have a mental illness and I understand that you, like, what happened and I feel bad about it. It was more like, you're a terrible person and, yes, you also have a mental illness and that part of it sucked, but you, that doesn't change anything about what a horrible person you were. That's true. How did, I don't even know how she got rights to her son. <sighs> It probably wasn't necessarily a legal decision in so much as when you have a kid, mm. you automatically have the rights to that kid. And who was going to turn him in? The dad? The dad didn't want the kid. Yeah. And if neither of them wanted the kid and she was that desperate to get rid of him, I'm surprised that she didn't just drop him off somewhere and just leave, you know? Surprised she didn't sell him for money. That's a good point. Uh, maybe, maybe not many people want to buy 12-year-olds for a lot of money. Um, no. Uh, 
And that's, that's a whole other topic. <laughs> um, um, I, I want to mention one more character. I don't have a lot to say about him, but Marty was such a weird man. What I enjoyed about him is he had a sort of almost threatening but not really presence mm. because he was friendly with them and it was somewhat casual but you never got the feeling that they were friends he was invited to the barbecue mm. because they he they were told to invite him basically not because they actually got along yeah and he had that thing where when ben left he let him sleep in the car but and he told him, you fix this because you're out on your ass if you don't, because I don't need you. Yeah. So he was always a second away from cutting you. He likes you fine, but if you weren't useful to him, you might as well be dead. Yeah, absolutely. It was more a business relationship than anything else. So if they weren't going to keep providing, then he had no use for them. Now, speaking of Ben walking out, Mm. I really loved the reconciliation scene between them. Mm. It sold exactly how not only damaged they both were with Ben hugging the homeless woman and (laughs) basically both of them crying and Alan being so cold and alone that he slept outside on the curb like a fucking garbage bag. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, um, I remember... This time, I don't remember the last time I watched it, but when I watched it the first time this time, um, when he was sitting out there and completely blank and unable to, like, get himself to move, not even on the curb yet. He was on the chair right outside of the house. And um, Kelsey comes out, stands there, watches him for a second. Alan doesn't respond. And he says, I'm going to go to bed. And he leaves. And Alan he does say goodnight when Kelsey says goodnight, but that's it. And I felt like in that moment, I was kind of looking at him like, no, you're supposed to be better than this. Like you just took this kid so that you can give him a better life. And I understand that like your world just kind of fell apart around you, but you're sort of doing to him what his mom did by not paying any attention to him, you know? And I, that hurt me for Kelsey, but I was also hurting for Alan because clearly this was like a brother to him. He, like, didn't know how to live without Ben. Well, and there's, codependent relationships are very, not mentally healthy, but very strong. Mm. And you notice it when Ben came back, and Alan could barely stop crying, and the way he said it, he said, don't walk out on me, not don't walk out on us, not don't walk out on the kid, Mm -hmm. you can't walk out on me. Yep. Because they had been together for so long that neither of them really knew what they were supposed to do. Yeah. I also thought it was um, the wording of when Ben says him or me before he leaves. And Alan says, I've made my decision. Clearly, he is not saying I'm choosing Kelsey over you. He is saying I'm keeping Kelsey. Like, basically, this is your decision if you're going to stay or if you're going to go. And then Ben takes it as you're choosing him over me and walks out. But he throws the stupid mug. <laughs> yeah, he. <laughs> it was a nice mug too. And you know me, I love mugs. I am a mug collector, and it was a really beautiful mug. And I was like, you're kind of break it. <laughs> that poor mug. What did it ever do to you, Benjamin? Um, yeah, there. Um, I think that was the best thing of the movie okay gosh I've said that about 50 million things already can you tell I love this movie um Alan and Ben's relationship the way that they showed how much they cared about each other how easily they they like pretty much they didn't actually but they pretty much were like finishing each other's sentences you could tell they've known each other since childhood they've always had each other they've always 100% trusted each other and they're stupid like clearly 20 year old or whatever like joking around and making fun of each other thing that they did you say even when they was like Kelsey was asked or no uh, Alan was telling Kelsey to stay in school and then he was like oh when did you graduate school and Ben just laughed and was like yeah that's interesting when did you graduate school Alan um and like that whole thing was just so real for 
the friendship that they had like I bought it I bought it 100% to the point where I was like I wonder if these actors are actually friends outside of the movie that was one of my favorite parts of the movie um did I just steal your quote no you did not for once you didn't yes (laughs) no twice now twice now yeah we're getting better (laughs) I think that the way they really show that Ben is damaged is way better than Alan Mm -hmm. because Alan is just very emotional and very sad, but they show Ben so much more subtly because it's harder to tell when someone is unemotional than when they're more emotional. Yeah. When they, they're reconciling and he is on the verge of tears and Alan hugs him and he clings to him so tight for about six seconds. And then he immediately is like, nope, nope, can't hug me anymore. That's, that's over. Yep. And then and he immediately he stopped immediately, crying. <laughs> exactly. It's yeah. so heartbreaking because yeah. that's his childhood and they showed it in such a soft way. Yeah, and I think also adding to that, the fact that this is his best friend. Again, this is a person he's known for, like, all of his life. And he feels the need to pull back, wipe his eyes, and apologize for crying, for showing emotion. And Alan's reaction to it, too, is just like, that's okay. Like, clearly, he was just crying, too, and you're apologizing to him that you cried. And, yeah, that showed so much of Ben's childhood and why he is the way that he is. Yeah. And I love that when Ben is talking about them keeping Kelsey, he starts off talking like they're going to keep a pot of plant. <laughs> we have to feed it and <laughs> love it. And <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, it's... Uh, I, I enjoy that they... Like, obviously, these guys had no idea how to take care of a kid. And Ben showed that to us more than Alan did. Alan, For Alan, it was a little easier from the very beginning. Like, interacting with Kelsey was always easier to him. Whereas Ben was just like, I don't know how to speak to a child. Like, what do I do? I don't know, you know? Um, Well, especially closer to the start of the movie, every time they saw Kelsey, it was... It's not, hey, Kelsey, how are you? It is them looking at each other like, what's he doing standing over there? I don't know what he's doing standing over there. He's wearing <laughs> camouflage pants. Like, they were observing him like he was a creature and they were the environmental documentarians. Yeah. And then and, he he says he probably has lice, Alan, when Alan asks him to come closer to them. And that's great. <laughs> yeah. And eventually they do have more of a relationship with him but at first it's like Steve Irwin like oh look at the crocodile (laughs) oh he was the cutest crocodile ever (laughs) yeah but they had no idea what to do with this kid um I also really enjoy when he comes over there out of the bush and they're playing chess and he's talking to them and then he just continually just says the like most depressing shit ever where it's just like, oh, yeah, I play sometimes with my grandpa. And they're like, oh, where does he live? He's like, in heaven. And they're like, what the <laughs> fuck? And then later he says, I don't know what they're talking about. And then he says, my dad doesn't want me anymore. He has a whole other family. And Alan's reaction is was probably my reaction where it's like, well, that's just not fair. I'm like, yeah, seriously, what the hell? How does one kid have so much sadness? So many, like, sad things that have happened to him. He's 12. Those lines reminded me so much of the video game Little Misfortune, where she's like, this is my pet rock. I named him Stony. I got him when my father threw him at me. And then she holds up a rock with blood on it. It's like, oh, no, honey. <laughs> yeah, he was very much that kid, because... You could tell that kid still had so much hope in him. He still had so much, like, love and, like, positivity in him, even though his entire life had been shit. His entire life had been people not wanting him and just wanting to get rid of him. Um, And still, he was so excited that these guys wanted to be his friend or friends. Um... Even when he got punched in the face at school and Alan told the guy to like the kid to get off and leave him alone, it was like the smallest little act and he like he doesn't even smile, but you can see it in his eyes where it's just like, Oh, he cares about me. Like he stopped the guy from like punching me again. Well, and you can see exactly how 
much hope he has because mm-hmm. they do an end scene as he's being driven away with the social worker mm-hmm. where he's just imagining what might have been with them if this hadn't happened and he had been allowed to stay. Mm-hmm. And his daydream is a little bit not always the happiest. <laughs> I mean, Alan gets arrested. <laughs> ben gets you know, married and divorced and married again. Yep. <laughs> but even through that, it's so positive and there's so much hope there. And it's just a really chilling scene of him giving up that what could have been. Yeah, it's basically what they did is they didn't go, oh, this kid's daydreams are something that you wouldn't believe that he would even be able to dream up. It's what he would expect because his life has been shit, that there are still going to be downtimes. There are still going to be things that they have to get through, um, but they're still going to be happy. And Alan and Ben are still going to want him and they're going to be like together. And that's the happiest thing to him. Well, it is something that he couldn't have dated dreamed because he shouldn't have any had any clue who Amanda is yeah and oh and I went back and I watched it again and he like has this whole like he and Alan are playing video games in his daydream and Ben is sneaking out and Alan asks where he's going and he says just out it's not your business or whatever and then it's um Amanda and Ben like at a picnic laughing and kissing and stuff and then they get married and then they get divorced with Amanda kicking him out of their house and It's just like, you don't even know who Amanda is, and yet you were so detailed in this. (laughs) Uh, I'm glad he was wrong. Even as Ben grew up, he didn't deserve her. (laughs) Yeah, I honestly, I don't, I wouldn't have, uh, I I don't think I would have rooted for Ben with either of the girls, um, Amanda or Mel. Because, yeah, he didn't deserve Amanda. Amanda was way too much of a badass for him. Um, and. Here's some advice for all the Amandas and Topangas in the world. If he loves his best friend more than you, get out. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, I also found it a little weird. And maybe this is just a me thing. Maybe I always find this a little weird. But, like, considering they are as close as they are, Ben and Alan, I like, Ben falling for Mel was a weird thing for me. Yeah. Like, that... I don't know. And that might just be me. I don't have a brother, but... The closest way that they set that up might have even been just that he wanted to watch her do the waffle dance, but that seemed more like teasing than, like, flirting. Yeah, because Alan enjoyed that as much as he did. But then that wasn't something that actually happened. That was just in Kelsey's mind. Mm -hmm. So it's possible that it wasn't, I think there's actual chemistry between these people... It's, I love her, I want her to be my aunt, Mm. and, like, I don't want her to leave my life, so they have to get married. Yeah, yeah, it was from the perspective of a 12-year-old. And it couldn't have been Alan marrying her, so it had to be Ben, basically. It was, like, it wasn't that it was Ben and Mel, it was just that the other two are brother and sister, so it couldn't have been them. (laughs) Exactly. Amanda Um, and hmm. Ben had my favorite quote exchange in the movie. Oh, which one? Uh, when Amanda is giving her brilliant speech about how it's always, you know, steal, 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 and Alan, Alan, Alan. Mm-hmm. She goes, what does Alan have that I don't? <laughs> and Ben's response is, oh, well, an indoor voice. <laughs> it's like, really? After all that, that's what you're going to say? Yeah. It reminded me of this scene in Dexter mm-hmm. where... Uh, the ice truck killer has spent the night with Dexter eating porterhouses and his sister Deb is mad because she's like, I wanted to hang out with you and blah, blah, blah. And she has this whole speech about T-bone steaks and how she wanted to be there. And then all Dexter says they were porterhouses. Oh yeah. Um, it's just what you said earlier if they're that close where they're constantly like attached at the hip just do yourself a favor and don't get involved (laughs) just let them have their bro ship and just let it be 
if you were the one, it would not be all cars and Alan, or it wouldn't be all Sean, his lover. It would be you, and yeah. then Sean. Yeah. And you should not put up with that. Mm-hmm. You, like, know your worth. Yeah, and I think she did. And I don't know, I don't think we're told exactly how long they were together, Um but that is definitely something that she probably noticed immediately and thought like she was overthinking and then was just like, nope, this is a thing. I'm out. Um, yeah, I wish we had seen more of her because I think she would have been a fun character to like have continue bantering with them. OK, I, I don't yeah. know if it was banter, <laughs> but I don't think she would have fit into the movie in any way. So. No, no, definitely not. Um I also, from that scene, this is not my favorite line, but from that same scene where she says, because I think it's the part where um, Alan says, you speak in Michael Bolton lyrics. I think that's what his last comment is. And she says, fuck you, you have a small penis or whatever. And I love that uh, Ben is going back and forth trying to get Alan to like, shut up, let me get through this and trying to calm her down. And then she says that and he's like, wait, how would you? No, okay, never mind. Like, I don't want to know how you know that. I don't know why you said that. I'm just... Can I just tell you that I saw your dad's car, please? Or actually your car, I guess, at your dad's funeral. Yeah. Don't disparage Michael Bolton. Uh, what does she say? Um, emotional exo- exoskeleton. If he, if Michael Bolton could fit those words, those exact words into a song, then he would be the best lyricist in the world. Okay, if he can sell Can I Touch You There, he can probably do it. <laughs> Good point. Um, so that was your favorite quote. I had way too many favorite quotes, but I think I have finally settled on my absolute favorite one. Um, when Ben takes Kelsey the cup of tea and tells him that he should drink it and Kelsey's like, no, I don't like it. And then he's like trying to convince him and Kelsey says, no, I've never had it before. And then his, he says, tea is civilizing. People drink it in centers of learning. And it's like, do you really think Kelsey gives a shit about that? But okay. <laughs> and I love that. Like, well, tea is civilizing. <laughs> I love that scene in general because Alan always kind of has a connection with Kelsey. And he's always been good with Kelsey. Ben is just, like, agreeing to do this. So he's at the point where he is, he's agreed that he's going to father this child and he clearly still has no idea what to do. So he makes him tea and it's very important to him that Kelsey drink this fucking tea and he just won't do it. And it feels like he's about four seconds from going, this is all I know how to do. Would you just take the tea, man? (laughs) Yeah, and I also enjoy that he does the very kid thing where he takes one sip of it and before he's even gotten it in his mouth, he's just shaking his head like, no, I don't like it. I don't like it. And Ben's like, no, I don't even believe you. (laughs) Well, especially for a kid that's used to drinking soda and monster energy drinks, there's no way that plain tea or black tea, even sweetened, is going to do it. I mean, the closest he probably ever got to tea before was those brisk bottles that have so much sugar and corn syrup in them (laughs) yeah yeah this kid was living off of a diet of soda which he was so proud of and I think that was my favorite exchange between her him and Mel where um she he's like asking them if they want so or if they'll take him to the store because he has soda to exchange for the ride uh and Mel says you know you can eat a steak instead and then but I'll take a soda and then she, he gets so excited that, like, this person that he's just met, literally just met, has agreed to come look at his soda collection because clearly he is proud of it. Um, but, yeah, he's drinking soda and Monster Energy drinks or whatever and eating fucking Hungry Man's and ice cream. I'm surprised they even had ice cream. Lynette yeah. must have loved ice cream. Otherwise, I can't imagine. <laughs> or I think he – she said something about his uh, soda money helping her buy – new interview clothes so maybe he used that money for more than just soda he decided he wanted ice cream I don't know (laughs) well and I just think that the tea thing is especially funny because Kelsey is at the point where he's kind of desperate to stay but he's not desperate enough to drink your tea no yeah (laughs) 
where it's like, oh, I have to convince you to let me stay and to have you be my parent. Mm. And you're offering me this tea. Well, no, still no. (laughs) (laughs) You would assume that a kid in a situation where they want someone to like them will do whatever you tell them to. Yeah, pretend they love the tea. But yeah, he's like, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, I'm also going to talk about the fact that this kid has, um, oh gosh, I can't remember what the magazine is exactly, but nudie magazines that he is so proud of. Cause I I think they're penthouses. Penthouses. Yeah. And I think he says there, there are seven of them. And, um, he talks about maybe they can, how they can exchange them. Um, him and Ben and Alan, like you guys must have some too. Maybe we can exchange them sometime. And, uh, or trade them. And, and then he says, I've seen mine bunches of times. And I love the, like, proud way that he says that. Because, like, clearly you're a child. And it's adorable. And also really disturbing. But, and then Ben's reaction, I think, is that they're going to go light themselves on fire. And I think anybody watching the movie as an adult feels the same way. They're like, no, this is so uncomfortable. But you're so cute. And you're selling it. It's great. <laughs> Well, it's not just that it's uncomfortable, but it's like when you're watching an old movie and you see somebody using a dial-up modem or their VCR or (laughs) their Betamax. Yeah. It's like LOL nudie magazines. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah, it was... um, I think they did a lot of really good little things like that um, to build the relationship between Kelsey and the boys and they were all very small little events throughout the movie. And Oh, and I love when um, Alan and Ben have finally made up and they've decided they're going to keep, keep this kid illegally and they take them to the diner and they seem so proud of themselves. I think especially Alan because they go there and um, I think Mel asks if he wants to go to the back and like watch Jorge make the waffles or something like that. And he gets all excited and Alan goes, what do you say? And then Kelsey says, thank you. And he's so proud of himself. Like, see, I'm teaching him manners. So you're going to be on board with this now. I'm, you're not going to be mad that we're decided, we decided to keep this kid because look, I'm teaching him manners. Like you just took him out of school and took him to like, like a what do you call it an amusement park I mean granted the kid's been through some shit he probably shouldn't have been back in school just yet his mom just died but like you just pulled him out of school for that you're not really selling the whole we're mature adults who are taking like responsibility here thing just because you taught him to say thank you (laughs) okay that school scene Mm. it was an interesting thing in theory but I don't think they could have actually done that Because if the school knew his mom died, they would have probably had some kind of a question of like, well, who's his new legal guardian? Who's going to be picking him up? Who's he staying with? Not just like, oh, these two random dudes said they want this kid. I guess we're just going to give them to these two random dudes. Uh, Okay, You can't just go up to a school as some random ass person and be like, I want a kid. And let's be like, oh, okay, what kid would you like? Any kid you want. (laughs) Well, and, okay, a couple of things. Um, I don't know how they even pulled any of that because, okay, so the school knew who his mom was. And I'm wondering if they knew that she was dead because they hid the fact that Lynette had a kid. So it's possible that nobody was looking to tell anybody about it. You know what I mean? So maybe the school had no idea that the mom was dead. Um, also, I would like to jump on board with the belief that you can't do that. You can't just show up to school and be like, I'm so-and-so, I'm here to pick up this kid, and that they would let you. However, I do believe that certain schools would. Um, I looked up the movie, the year of the movie. It's 2011. It feels so much older than that. Um but it's 2011, and I would have expected a longer time ago than that 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 would have been more likely to happen. Um, but I do think in certain areas with certain schools, 
they don't really ask a lot of questions if you just go in and you're like, oh, yeah, I'm this kid's uncle. I'm here to pick him up. He's got a doctor appointment. And my sister, who is his mother, asked me to take him because she's working right now or whatever, you know, especially if you have full names and address of these people they are more likely to just be like, okay, that sounds legit. Here you go. It's not a good thing at all, but I do believe that it does happen in the real world. I could agree with that, but the neighborhood they were living in did not look like a cheap neighborhood. That's true. I still think it could have happened. I've heard of situations in which, in like the real world, um, somebody had their ex-husband pick up the kid, but they, the school was the kind of school where if your name was not on the list for that kid, you could not pick them up. And if you were there to do so, they had to call the person, one of the people on the list to verify uh, before they would let you take the kid. And that 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 school had allowed an ex-husband to pick up the child, even though his name was not on the list. Just because he showed up and said, I'm this person's dad. I'm here to pick them up. Uh, that's fucking horrifying. I hope they got sued. Uh, I don't remember where I even heard this story, but I think they ended up, like, finding... I don't know what happened to the school, but I know that they ended, they ended up, like, having to do a search because uh, he was not stable, the man. And that's why he was not on the list. Unsurprising. Yeah, and that did used to happen a lot more. And that's why those regulations are in place. So maybe after 2011 yeah maybe this movie inspired them (laughs) (laughs) well I mean and I would also it would be even more believable like if it were after school because like the school I work out work out work at um like once the kids leave you don't have to come check your child out of school some of the kids at my school walk home or take a bus or whatever or some kids have their parents pick them up like on the end of the street you know Um, So it's not like we know where these kids go once they leave our school. And we knew his mom wasn't picking him up, even though she didn't have a job and had nothing better to do. Yeah, he was walking home. Because I think one of the first things he says is, um, um, I I saw my school today. It's it's not that far or something like that. Mm. Anyway, um, Okay, we've talked about a lot of things. I am going to say a couple of things that I disliked about the movie because I don't think I've mentioned any of them except Lynette. And I will say I literally listed her as the very first thing that I did not like. And then I had to think about the rest and be like, what else do I not like about this movie? Um, The walking scenes um, of them, like, I don't mean the ones where we get to hear them talking and all of that, just when they're walking and there's music playing and it doesn't really do anything. It's just like wasting time in the movie. I really didn't like those. I know it was supposed to be like, this is an indie film and these are really artistic shots or whatever, but they didn't give me anything. I was just like, okay, fast forward, please. Yeah, they didn't really establish any of the sets. They didn't do anything to establish the characters, but in the Yeah. yeah. Um, and in that same way, the weird zoom-ins on their faces, they did that with Kelsey. And I've already said how I think the kid did such a great job in the role, but anytime you zoom that close into somebody's face, it's going to be uncomfortable, especially when it's a kid and you're like oh God, this weird kid is just like staring off at nothing and I'm creeped out a little bit. But then they also did it to Alan and Ben as well. And I was just like, why? Why are we seeing up their nostrils right now? Please stop. And if it happens that many times, you figure it has to be an artistic choice. But why? Well, you know, you and I are not artistic and we don't understand. (laughs) Proudly. Yeah. You know what, though? They don't have to explain their art to us, Warren. Oh, no. Reference back to an old movie. Um, They don't, though. And, uh, hey, what the hell do I know about making movies? I just know that it made me feel uncomfortable. <laughs> and I felt like the actors felt uncomfortable. Like, I know you're zoomed in on my face right now, and I, I want to laugh, you know? Um, I found some... Strange, interesting facts. Did we talk about the whole movie, first of all, before I get into that? I feel like we kind of just mentioned things. I'm happy they ended up together at the end for real. I will say that. 
thing. So have I. And I liked that Ben growing up and getting serious involved him getting these like little old man glasses. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and the little emotional dad moment um, with him going off to college and like Ben is just like, okay, let's go. And Alan's like, I'm not ready. <laughs> it was so cute. I want more details on the glasses though. I want to know if it was something he grew to need or if he always needed them and was just like, no, fuck it. I'm cool. I'm cool. I'm cool. <laughs> and then they got a kid and it's like, oh, damn it. I guess I'm thinking glasses. <laughs> well, you know what? It looked great on him. So he should have, he should have just taken the glasses from the beginning if that was the case. <laughs> it did. He was thick, but he was kind of hunky. He was. Um, he, he probably still is. I don't know. Um, okay. Um, Something I noticed while I was watching the movie for the 500th time, at about 19 minutes into the movie, when they're riding their bu- uh, bikes and they're talking about how, um, if their luck is running out and all that, <clears throat> in the background, they're passing a house. And this house has a tree in the front. And on the tree is a fake fire truck. And I don't know what kind of fire truck it is. I can't tell if it's a, like a toy fire truck. I can't tell if it's like a wooden fire truck. I can't tell at all anything. It's definitely for a kid. Maybe it's part of a decoration for a kid's party, but the fire truck is in the tree and there are ladders on either side of the tree leading up to the fire truck. And I was so confused by it. And I just, I literally had to pause and go, what the fuck? Like, can you, I want someone to explain that to me. What was that? Or was it literally just, this was something that was happening in this neighborhood in real life while they were recording and not like a plan? For the movie, I, I I have no idea. I have like no information on it at all. But I thought maybe, that was interesting. Maybe they knew that we were going to do evolution and then this just, movie. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And I didn't see it until I watched evolution and then went back and watched the movie again. And I was like, hey, fire truck, what the hell? <laughs> um, yeah. So that was my little. I think they're called Easter eggs. That was my little Easter egg find. Um, And then my other thing is a personal interesting thing. As I was listening to the background music, which you probably hated, um, I realized that the voice was very familiar and I had to look up who it was. Um, And I think many of the songs in the movie, I couldn't name any of them off the top of my head and I didn't make a note of them, but um, they are sung by Johnny Flynn, who um, I have grown to love a lot ever since I watched a song called, I mean, a movie called Song One. Uh, which was starring and was produced by Anne Hathaway. And his voice is so amazing and so soothing, yet also so, like, it brings up so many emotions. Like, he just starts singing, and I'm just like, oh, my gosh, it's you. Um, So I thought that was, and I like that movie, Song One, kind of for the same reasons and in the same ways, maybe not quite as much as A Bag of Hammers. But um, so it was interesting to me to find out that it was the same singer that did a majority of the songs in both films well i'll have to go listen to the soundtrack and let everybody know what i think yeah you should um and if you do you should listen to the song one soundtrack his songs on um that movie were better in my opinion than a bag Uh, of hammers pick pick it and i will oh you're gonna hate me so much you will not (laughs) you will not like that movie and yes you do that's part just of remember that every movie you pick, I get to pick the next one, and I can punish you. I can punish everyone. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, maybe I'll pick one that you'll actually like next time, and I'll wait a while before I pick another one. You will just be like, why did you do this to me about? Well, you don't know if I liked this one. So, okay, tell me. Rating. Yeah, tell me your final rating. Uh, all right, you do know. Um... <laughs> I give it a 60. I mean, I was invested while I was watching it, and I cared while I was watching it, and it made me angry, and it made me have feelings, and it made me angry a lot more. <laughs> but ultimately, I don't think I'm ever going to watch it again. And that is fine, because I will probably watch it more than enough for the both of us. And you know what? Your rating is higher than I would have expected you to give it anyway. So I'm happy. I'm giving it a very, 
I'm giving it the kind of rating where you would think that I am the writer of this movie or like I'm somehow actually like part of the movie in some way. And I know I'm not, but it's one of those movies that are really close to my heart. Um, and I, I don't know why. I have no idea why. I think it is because it's unknown and I liked it so much. So I'm giving it 100%. <laughs> um, like I said, those... <laughs> yes, I'm really sucking up to um, the writers, producers, directors, and especially the actors of this movie. Um, no. Uh, but yeah, I, as much as I didn't like, okay, the hundredth the time I watched the, uh, the movie, I skipped past the walking scenes and also Lynette's interviews, both of them. Um, however, that was just because I had seen it multiple times recently, I think. And it was just like, I'm not watching for those scenes. I, I already know what happens there moving on. Um, there's not anything that I would take out of the movie. Even those scenes and the weird zooms made it the type of movie it was. And in the end, I still love it. And this is my first 100 rating, and I'm curious to know if you're ever going to give any movie 100 now. I can never be satisfied. Never, I know. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, writers, if any person who has written this is listening, I know you all are. Uh-huh. What was up with the fucking fire truck? She gave it 100. She deserves to know. I do. And you can tell me on our social media pages. Hey, perfect segue. Um... <laughs> So, yeah, you guys can find us. Oh, wait, you got to tell them what movie we're doing next first. Uh, next uh, week, we are doing I Think I Do from 1997, starring Alexis Arquette. Another movie I had not even heard of until you told me about it, and I look forward to seeing it. Okay. All right, so let us know what you thought of this. Let us know what movies you'd like us to watch. Maybe we will, maybe we won't. Um, you can find us on Instagram, uh, Millennials at the Movies. And on Twitter, Millennials ATM. And then my personal Twitter account is Ami, A-M-I underscore movies. And mine is cantaloupe underscore eyes like the fruit. <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys. See you next time. Bye.